Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Perry. Welcome today. Today we have a good, awesome, brand new type of content that I have not yet brought to you all. Today we were supposed to do the coaches roundtable, but unfortunately one of our coaches, Coach Jen, is out with the flu. So we wish her the absolute best and hope that she gets better soon. But rather, this has given us the great opportunity of answering questions that we've had from a lot of our athletes from a long time. And we're all we're so pumped up to share what we have to tell you all as far as common questions that we get all the time from individuals looking to make progress in the gym. And one of those first questions that we're going to answer today is, do macros matter? And what I mean by this is I, well, I usually get a lot of athletes that come to me and be like, coach, I know that you give me 2000 calories to eat, but does it actually matter if those calories are coming from carbohydrates, fats, or proteins? And to get down to the matter of it, yes, macros do matter. Sure, when it comes down to you losing weight, calories in versus calories out. You cannot ignore that simple law of thermodynamics. Energy in equals energy out. You consume more calories than what you expend, you're going to gain weight. You expend more than what you consume, you're going to lose weight. However, when it comes to the actual macro makeup, if you are not getting the right types of nutrients, you won't be getting the desired results. And usually the biggest mistake that I see people make is going short on the protein. Protein is absolutely one of the most important macronutrients that you need to make sure you hit when you're looking to make your fitness goals. You need protein for not only so many optimal and necessary functions of the human body, but it is also necessary to maintain and build lean tissue. And when it comes down to maintaining lean muscle mass when you're dieting down and trying to get to a better looking physique, protein is absolutely necessary. It is often one of those times why when individuals go on diets and even though they might be losing weight, they still feel soft, they still feel like they're not tightening up or not getting the desired results that they're looking for. And often it's because they're going so low on their protein content. You absolutely must make sure that you stay to your macronutrient goals that your coach provides for you or that you should need for your body type. And most often when it comes to individuals who are engaging in a strength training program, us coaches will usually program anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. If we have those individuals that tend to diet, we might up that a little bit more. So it usually comes out to be around 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. That seems to be the best for most individuals. So usually what we'll do is just to make it simple for people to understand, if you weigh about 200 pounds and you are consistently weightlifting in the gym, you've got a great program, you're using progressive overload and progressive stimuli, then you will need approximately 180 to 190 grams of protein. And you will need to hit that every single day in order to maintain higher levels of muscle protein synthesis and maintain that lean tissue. There are no ands, ifs, or buts about it. We start to run into these issues where we hit the weekend and we get off track. And then instead of hitting our macros the way we think we're supposed to hit them, we have one little meal here. We might miss a protein shake there. And then we actually start substituting other things in like alcohol that take up other macronutrient space. So super, super important that we hit those macro goals that are designed for us when we're in specific diets. 
The next thing is carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are absolutely necessary to give you enough energy to get through those hard workouts and to give you enough energy to recover from those workouts. It is highly mistaken that people think that low-carbohydrate diets are the absolutely best for performance. Now, although that might work for some, in my own experience, that hasn't worked for many. All right, If you hear people say that carbohydrates are the enemy, you need to question whether or not they can put two, two and two together right, in, their, in their head there. Carbohydrates are absolutely essential for anaerobic metabolism and aerobic metabolism. Doesn't matter if you're a long distance runner or a weightlifter or a CrossFitter. You absolutely need carbohydrates to sustain higher levels of physical activity. Absolutely necessary. Further, you need carbohydrates to recover. You need glucose to be able to recover your central nervous system after you've done a lot of these hard workouts. Tons of research studies show that when you compare and contrast low-carbohydrate diets such as keto with higher-carbohydrate diets, it actually takes those athletes much longer to recover afterwards when they do not have enough carbohydrate. And the same thing goes for marathon runners. When you look at marathon runners, they tend to take less, they, they do not fatigue as fast, they recover much faster when they are constantly consuming higher levels of carbohydrates in comparison to the low carbohydrate or keto counterparts. Super, super important that you hit your carbohydrate goals. And in my anecdotal experience, not only with myself, but also coaching others, I have always seen success on higher carbohydrate, higher protein diets, every single time. None of this crazy ass bullshit you see out in the industry where they try to sell you these low carbohydrate diets, where they actually mislabel what a carbohydrate is. Most oftentimes when you talk to people and they're like, oh no, I can't have that, that's carbs. Usually they're pointing on what's on the table that has nothing to do with carbohydrates in the first place. When you look at things like cookies and cakes and crackers and all these other sorts of things that are labeled as carbohydrates by the media, y'all, that ain't carbohydrate that's making you fat and making you a pain in the ass from eating that food, <laughs> all right? It's the higher fat content in those products. Are you a baker? If you ever baked before and you've consumed these types of foods, then you will find that it is much higher fat content in these foods than carbohydrates are. And what a lot of people don't understand is that it is much easier for the body to take fat and convert it to fat than it is carbohydrate. So it's become super easy to overconsume these products, which is why it's so easy to gain weight off them, because they're such high in fat, right? So we have to really be cognitively aware of what an actual carbohydrate is, what an actual fat is, and what proteins are, and what these three things do for my body. All three are absolutely necessary, right? Actually, you could survive off of nothing but protein, all right? But we're, we're not going to go down that alley today, all right? When it comes to success and having a balanced diet and a balanced approach to changing your physique or lifestyle, having control over all three and using them the way that they need to be is what's going to guarantee the most success. The next question that we had, and this is a funny one, is not really a funny one, but often true, is why aren't I getting a pump in the gym? Okay, <laughs> we get this one a lot, uh, especially my older guys. And there could be numerous reasons why you're not getting a pump in the gym. And it can come down to a number of things. And the first thing comes down to whether or not, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> the biggest reason why you might not be getting a pump in the gym is you're dehydrated. Okay, if you're dehydrated and you do not have enough fluids nor enough electrolytes in the body, it'll be very, very difficult for you to be able to pull volumization into the cells, okay? And it'll be very, very hard 
for you to get those necessary pumps that come when you're doing workouts in a bodybuilding fashion, where you are doing multiple sets of the hypertrophy range of anywhere from eight to 12 repetitions, sometimes a little bit higher. And if you do not have the necessary amount of electrolytes that you need in the body, it's going to be very, very difficult to get that cell volumization, that, that pump that you get when you're pushing your ass in the gym. The second thing usually comes down to, are you actually lifting right? <laughs> and this is, this is something that I accuse people of a lot a lot of the times. I have to simply ask them, be honest with me. Are you doing the exercises correctly? When I walk around at the gym, especially in the university setting, <laughs> okay, and not to knock on any of my students, because a lot of my students do do it the right way. But there are those individuals who are inexperienced, and even ones who have been lifting for years, who still don't do exercises correctly. If you are having poor technique, if you're rushing through the exercises, if you're not breathing correctly, okay, if you're, if you're not in the right position, you might not be lifting that weight correctly to actually cause a stimulus for you to actually get any sort of pump, all right? You might be relying on other muscles to do the work. You might be doing all sorts of things that are not going to cause the actual exercise to contract correctly the right way. And I, I see this shit all the time when I'm at the gym because literally look at people now, individuals who are listening to the podcast won't be able to see me, but individuals on Instagram live can. And if I see people swinging around dumbbells or using their back and arching all over the place or stopping halfway and doing all this other crazy crap, right? Not using a full range of motion. Well, it's no wonder why A, you're not getting a pump and B, why you're not getting any progress from your exercises in the gym. Okay. So it's super important to be cognitive aware of your positioning in your exercises and are you actually doing these things correctly are you bracing correctly are you upright are you engaging the core and other uh, other musculature that you need this is a big problem uh, when working with individuals who never had a coach before because usually you can tell individuals who have had a coach versus those who haven't because those who have had a coach especially those who are trained in actual strength training or powerlifting or olympic lifting Know the purpose of taking your time in between each set and in between each rep, okay? I really got to give it to powerlifting coaches because they are notorious for teaching their individuals, their, their clients and their athletes how to breathe, how to brace, how to take their time in between each rep in order to enhance their technique, okay? And I'm not going to lie to you. I was one of these athletes way in the beginning when I first started lifting who thought he knew his shit, who really wasn't cognitively aware of what he actually looked like when he was doing the exercises. Because if you're rushing through things, not breathing correctly, you have no idea whether or not you're half-assing the rep or going through a full range of motion, right? You have to stop, you have to breathe, you have to chill, and you have to make sure that you're doing everything correctly the way that you need to, right? This happens all the time when I see people work out in the gym, okay? So it's super important to breathe and be in control when you're doing the exercises, especially those that are hypertrophy-based, all right? When it's hypertrophy-based, it's all about time under tension. It's all about causing and putting more stress on that muscle for it to grow. And if you are looking for that goal, looking to increase muscle size and wanting to get a pump, it is all about time under tension, control, and putting all the effort on the muscle that is to be targeted the right way during that exercise. The next way why you might be not why my why you may not be getting a pump is you may not be using your rest periods correctly, okay? And I see this happen a lot as well, all right? People are flying through their sets and A, 
not giving themselves enough rest time or giving themselves too much rest time. If you're giving yourself too much rest time, then you are losing out on that metabolic response that comes with muscular hypertrophy. Okay. Excuse me. This is why building muscle, doing bodybuilding style workouts, the rest periods are set to 60 seconds to 90 seconds in order to get the most out of that. That allows you to stay consistent and in order to continue lifting the weight in that 8 to 12 rep range that when done correctly, you should be getting a pump from that intensity. And usually that intensity of weightlifting is anywhere from 55 to upwards of 85% of your one repetition max. And as long as you're doing it correctly and sticking with that particular weight that you've chosen and you can get all those reps within each set, then there should be no problem on you being able to get a pump from that. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, though, if you're not taking enough rest and going below 60 seconds to 90 seconds, you might be prematurely fatiguing yourself out and therefore not able to continue to reach the 8 to 12 rep range on every single set. I see this happen as well. Often individuals will choose weights for them that have no absolutely no need to be that choice. Oftentimes people go too heavy with what they've chosen. They might get eight reps on the first set, but then on the second rep, they, they literally went to failure on that first set. They can't even get three or four because they did not give themselves enough rest time in order to do that. All right. So it is super important not only to get your weights right when you're choosing to do these exercises, but you choose one that you know you're going to be able to get through for three to four sets of eight to 12 in order to really get that desired effect. Um, wait, great question. The third question we have for today is, is it necessary to eat right after your workouts in order to get the most gains? And so there's, there's a lot of science that goes into this. There's a lot of myth that goes into it as well. Okay. So for the longest time, when people will hop on social media, they'll, they'll look at all these things. They'll see all these advertisements that say, get your protein in within 45 minutes of your workout. You got to, got to get it in. You got to race home. And a lot, there's a lot of TikTok videos that make fun of us. <laughs> I'm going to be straight up with you all. According to science, I'll give you the science information first. According to science, yes. After a workout, your body is much more susceptible to storing glucose into muscle cells as muscle glycogen. Okay, It is upregulated at that time, which means if you take in carbohydrate right after your workout, there's a much greater chance that you'll be storing it as muscle glycogen versus any other time during the day. Now, does that mean that if you miss out on that 45-minute window that you were completely losing the chance to recover? No, not at all. Okay, Your body will still be restoring muscle glycogen as the day goes on into the night and so on and so forth. That process doesn't stop. It's just accelerated right after a workout. So can you get an added boosted recovery benefit by having a protein shake and carbohydrates right after your workout? Yeah, but it's not the biggest game changer in the world. Okay, It's not like you're going to be missing out on gains if you don't do that. In fact, one of the best things you should do after your workout that might be even more important than getting in a post-workout shake and carbohydrates is breathing and doing breath work, okay? And there's actually a lot of science that goes into this. Dr. Andy Galpin, uh, one of the greatest exercise physiologists in our, in our field right now, who is a specialist in exercise science related to strength training and cardiovascular training, talks about this, how many individuals leave gains on the table because they do not actually spend time sending a signal to the body for it to chill and slow down. What do I mean by this? Well, one of the biggest problems that we have right now, especially as Americans, is we just don't know how to slow the hell down. All right? We are constantly on the go, on the go, on the go, on the go, on the go. And we are starting to find in more and more people 
that so many people are overstimulating their sympathetic drive, okay? And so if we're, we're talking about sympathetic drive, we're talking in terms of the nervous system, okay? Your central nervous system is divided into two parts, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic. Sympathetic is your fight or flight, your go, raise your heart rate, let's fight, let's run, let's meh, all right? Whereas your parasympathetic nervous system is the complete opposite, all right? It's your chill, it's your rest, it's your digest, it's your let's sit in the tub and have a glass of wine, all right? The biggest problem that we see is that when people are having trouble unwinding, stopping their stress, being able to fall asleep at night, a lot of the times it's because they consistently complain to me about, I can't stop overthinking, uh, I can't stop thinking about this, I'm restless, yada, yada, yada. A lot of these things due to the fact that we are simply not stimulating our parasympathetic nervous system enough. And there should be times throughout the day where we're taking the time to do this. But so many people, especially those of us in the American culture, don't know how to slow the F down. And as a result, we are not spending enough time sending information to the body that says, bring our nervous system back into balance. And as a result, we're, leaning, we're leaving gains on the table because that's going to not only affect your recovery and your ability to assimilate nutrients into the body, but it's also going to impact your ability to rest, digest, and ultimately get the proper amount of sleep at night. If you're not getting enough sleep at night on a daily basis, you will definitely be sacrificing gains, whether it's the goals for you to build muscle or lose fat, because there's a plethora of evidence that shows us if you are not sleeping correctly or not getting enough quality sleep consistently, not only are you less likely to be able to mobilize fat for energy, all right, but you'll be more likely to overconsume things and engage in behaviors that do not result in what you want out of a fitness lifestyle. So it is super important to spend time sending a signal to your brain that says, hey, chill, okay? Now, how do we do this? Simple, all right? Breath work, okay? Breath work is something you can do for three to five minutes right after your workout to get your body to send the signal to say, hey, the fight is over, let's chill out, okay? Combine this with stretching and you get the best of both worlds as far as staying mobilized, improving flexibility, and sending an overall signal to the body to chill and relax. One of the best ways that I recommend doing breath work is doing box breathing where you inhale for a certain amount of time, anywhere from six to eight seconds. You hold your breath for about six to eight seconds, let your body consume that oxygen. You slowly exhale just by letting the air out for six to eight seconds, and then you don't breathe for that same amount of time, and then rinse and repeat, all right? Doing this for anywhere from three to five minutes, especially after your workout, is a great way to send a strong signal from to the body to engage that parasympathetic nervous system. Do this about three to five times a day, especially in the morning, after your workout, and before you go to bed has been found to be the most beneficial way to get your nervous system back into balance. And this might be even more important than hitting that anabolic window. The next question I get a lot, and one that we get consistently from our athletes is, what are the best ways to get a six pack? <laughs> and this is, a, this is an interesting one because I remember for years when I couldn't get one, I was always wondering, oh, I gotta do all the sit-ups in the world to get a six pack. Yes and no, okay? And then you've heard the notion, well, abs are made in the kitchen. Mm, yes and no. Okay. There's a lot that goes into this. Uh, and then when it comes to building a six pack, getting abs, first things first, you do need to be in a lower body fat percentage in order to show off your midsection. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about that. Okay. And for most individuals, for guys, you got to usually get down below 10% body fat. 
for ladies, you usually got to get down below 20%. And remember, the differences in body fat is due to the fact that women naturally have more body fat for health reasons, whereas guys do not. Guys don't give birth. They don't have that, that much uh, as high body fat percentage. But that's only half the equation. So yes, do you need to diet down to change your physique to be able to show off your midsection? Yes, certainly. But you also need to make sure that you are building muscle for your abdomen as well, okay? But that does not mean that you sit down on the ground and you do thousands and thousands of sit-ups and crunches every day in order to build your midsection. That actually might not be the absolute best way to give you a stimulus. And so I actually heard a physical therapist the other day say something really, really interesting, how, yes, progressive overload is important, but it's also important that we look at it as a progressive stimulus. So yes, you can get something out of doing sit-ups and crunches, but eventually that stimulus is going to wear off, where when you actually want to increase the size of the abdomen and the abdominal muscles, you need to lift heavier, okay? No ands, ifs, or buts about it. You need to do weighted abdominal exercises, okay? This is why things such as weighted crunches on a slant board, you know, that incline board that you see in the gym, is a great way to do this. Overloading the abdominal muscles in ways with external loads is what can really help break down muscle fibers and cause them to grow, allow them to be exposed at higher body fat levels, okay? And the more that you can grow them and make them larger, it'll make them that much more easier to see without having to diet down nearly as much. So two-prong question here. How do I get the best six-pack that I can, all right? Have control over your macros, all right? Make sure that you're following a healthier diet and do, do exercises for your abdomen and your core that are going to build them. No ands, ifs, buts about it. Doesn't mean you can't not do crunches. You just need to find ways to overload and provide that overloading stimulus in order to get them to grow. The next question we get a lot of times is, how do I control cravings, especially when I'm trying to go into a calorie deficit and trying to lose weight? One of the best ways that we usually advise this comes down to prioritizing the right types of foods, okay? And when you're trying to control cravings, it is super easy to overeat processed foods. Why? Because they usually lack fiber, right? They lack all the whole nutrients that come with the whole food product itself. When Ask any of our athletes and any of our clients. When your entire diet is made up of whole foods and whole nutrients, such as whole fruits and vegetables and lean sources of protein from actual animal products, that stuff will fill you up quick in comparison to processed foods and processed shakes, right? Which usually don't have a lot of the fiber and content that comes with whole food nutrition, all right? So I will for always, especially when I'm working with athletes and clients that are, losing, that are looking to lose weight, one of our first, our first conversations is ditch the processed foods, right? Stop buying that stuff and focus on buying whole foods. Prioritize your entire diet around that. Not only is that 10 times healthier, but it will also prevent you from having those cravings, right? Especially when you prioritize animal sources of protein, okay? When, especially when you get down to lower calories. So if you've been in a weight loss phase for a consistent amount of time, let's say anywhere from eight, eight to 12 weeks, and it's starting to get really, really, really difficult where you're having cravings that are going through the roof and you're trying to figure out how the hell am I supposed to stay full when I'm only consuming this small amount of calories? 
That's where prioritizing whole foods is even more important, especially when it comes to protein. I'll usually talk to my athletes and being like, look, you know, yes, it's great to use shakes to try and achieve those higher levels of protein that you have to hit when you're in this calorie deficit, but you need to make sure that the majority of them, of your content is still coming from whole foods, chickens, eggs, meat, so on and so forth, because it's going to keep you a lot fuller than what that protein shake is going to do. The second tip that I always give individuals is when you're making your meals, put two cups of vegetables in every single meal that you have. This was a hack that was taught to me by one of my very good friends at Arizona State University way back when. She's a registered dietitian. And when she was coaching me through this and teaching me how to coach a long time ago, she was talking about how we have to utilize these higher amounts of fiber and using vegetables is one of the best way. Uh, this is another thing why I'm so big on whole food nutrients because whole foods are such packed with fiber. They will occupy more area in your stomach that will fill you up more than any of the processed bullshit that you see on the shelf. All right. So super important to prioritize these. The biggest kickback I'll get on that is, but coach, <laughs> I'm so tired of eating broccoli. And if I have broccoli four times a day, I'm going to absolutely shit my pants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay. So we need to come up with certain ways to get around this and ways that I have figured out is ways to make not only vegetables taste good, all right, but change up the vegetables that you're doing. So first thing, have a rotation of vegetables, all right? Try not to do the same vegetable all day, every day. I usually like to do this in twos or threes to where I'll prioritize three types of vegetables. So for example, I'll do bok choy, Brussels sprouts, and then either green beans or broccoli, okay? And I'll vary those throughout the day. And then the next week, I'll come back and I'll change it up and I'll do three different ones. Maybe I'll go red chard, then I'll do spinach, and then I'll do some other type of green. Sometimes I'll just change it in and I'll do maybe red cabbage instead, all right? Keeps it different, keeps it variety, but it still has a large amount of fibrous content. In order to make that taste better, all right, I'll either douse it in just a little bit of olive oil, and I'll either bake it or I'll throw it in the air fryer with some seasonings, try to get some calorie-free seasonings. My favorites are the Mrs. Dash seasonings are very, very delicious. All right, they're awesome. They're tasty. Um, I'm old school. I like Cajun seasoning, so I'll use Creole. Um, I also like rotisserie chicken. <laughs> it's a great seasoning, zero calories. Um, it's just a whole bunch of herbs. Um, get creative. Find out what you like that you think is tasty, okay? I also use nutritional yeast. Nutritional yeast is fantastic. Um, because not only is nutritional yeast something that vegans will use um, to help them get their complete amino acid profile so that they don't get sick, um, but nutritional yeast is packed with all the essential amino acids and is very, very high in B vitamins as well. And so it has this cheesy types of, types of taste um, that when you put it in the microwave, you put about two to about two tablespoons or so of nutritional yeast on top of your vegetables. When you take it out of the microwave, it, it melts a little bit and it kind of gives it this cheesy consistency. Um, and it, it tastes really, really good. And sometimes I'll mix that with hot sauce and I'll throw that on there. Uh, if you can find some good types of hot sauce, if you're into that, I, I love hot sauce. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to make it taste better. Okay. So we, it's the biggest, here, here's another thing that I absolutely hate all the time. I know I'm getting off on a side tangent on this question, um, but the biggest kickback I get from athletes about eating healthy sometimes is it just tastes so boring. And I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned over the 15 years that I've been doing this now is the more that you prioritize consuming these whole foods and you stop eating all the processed BS that you get from the store, you start to appreciate the taste of the whole foods better and you actually get much more taste out of them. 
The biggest reason why all these processed foods taste so good is because they use artificial ingredients that are 10, sometimes 100 times sweeter than the actual thing that comes from the earth, right? That's the pain in the ass part about it, right? Food is not not supposed to taste that good, <laughs> but it does, right? Because human beings made it that way. But when it comes to actual whole foods, you miss out on a lot of the great tastes that a lot of foods have because you're so goddamn hooked on eating what's on the shelf in the, in the container, right? Not saying you can't have your Triscuits and, and your donuts and everything else that might taste amazing. I mean, I love gelato. You're not taking that away from me, all right? But you have to understand that prioritizing whole foods is an absolute necessity, necessity for your ability to maintain that permanent healthy lifestyle. And you can make healthy food taste good, okay? Once you reach your goals and once you get there, you can start being more creative and more open with the types of dressings and flavors and ways that you create food, right? But you have to get creative with it. You can't half-ass anything, all right? How you do everything, how you do anything is how you do everything, all right? If your healthy food tastes like shit, it's because your effort is shit into making it taste good, all right? Hands down, all right? I'm going to be completely real with you on that. There are tons of ways to make things taste good, especially when it's healthy, whole food nutrition. All right. Our next question is alcohol and gains. Can I continue to drink booze and make gains in the gym? And this is a loaded question that I get all the time. Um, and there was a time where I actually demonstrated to my sports nutrition class that, yes, you can make gains and you can achieve a better physique while still, still consuming alcohol. However, there's a caveat to this, all right? Because when you look at the actual breakdown of alcohol and what it actually does to the body, I'm going to be straight with you, alcohol is not good for you, <laughs> right? Not at all, all right? Yes, you can have one to two drinks per day and you'll be okay, okay? But when it comes down to it, at the cellular level, alcohol does delay muscle building. It does have a negative impact on your ability to utilize fat for energy, all right? So when it comes down to it, any type of alcohol is going to be counterproductive to you making progress in the gym. There's, there, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about that. But when it comes, there, it is still coming down to calories in versus calories out. So you for sure can have alcohol in your diet, and you can still build muscle. You can still lose fat. Just maybe not as well had you have not consumed alcohol. And so this is the conversation I have with athletes and students all the time. And I say, well, you got to weigh the checks and balances here. What's more important to you? Do, do you want to put 100% into building muscle mass and 100% into losing fat uh, without any potential for anything to you know, go wrong or cause potential issues? Then maybe think about not having alcohol or at least consider keeping it an absolute low because the biggest problem with consuming alcohol is once you have one, then you want two, <laughs> right? Once you have two, you're more likely to have three. And that's the biggest issue I see when it comes to consuming alcohol, when it comes to individuals having goals towards improving their physique or building muscle mass. And so if you are going to work it in and you want to show that you can still maintain health, which is completely okay, because that's actually the demonstration that I made to my students over a couple of years ago, is I did an entire weight loss transformation where I went from about 212 pounds all the way down to 182 pounds, demonstrated that I could still eat cake, I could still drink wine, and I could still get down to my desired physique. You have to work it into your macronutrient goals. So when you're trying to work in alcohol into your macros, remember alcohol is seven calories per gram. You substitute one gram of alcohol for one gram of fat that is in your daily allotted macros. And that's how I would work it in 
to your overall dietary structure. But I will be honest in saying I never got as best results as I did when I completely cut out alcohol, just hands down. Because when you completely cut out alcohol, not only does that significantly improve your sleep, it significantly improves your energy and your overall well-being overall. All right. So keep that into consideration as a contributing factor to what could potentially put your progress at risk. But at the end of the day, one of the biggest things we try to communicate here at Evolve is to have a healthy lifestyle. And if you want to enjoy life and have a drink in moderation, that is completely okay and it's encouraged. Just make sure that you are tracking and keeping notice of how much and how you're working it into your dietary structure. Very good question. The next question, oh, I love this. Being an expert in sleep, um, I get this question a lot. And individuals think, okay, well, I can have caffeine all day long. I can drink caffeine at night, have a coffee, and fall right to sleep, and it does me no harm. I'm going to break the bu- I'm going to break the buzzer on this one. So, what we actually find that <clears throat> let's let's start by talking in caffeine in general. So, caffeine is a stimulant. Uh it 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 allows it delays the adenosine receptor binding process to where it allows us to stay awake and more alert for more often. We need to make sure that we understand that caffeine does not actually give you energy. It just promotes alertness. And so with that being said, we also need to understand that it has a half-life of approximately six hours. So when you consume caffeine, that means that it will halfway be metabolized in about five to six hours. And with that being said, it'll still be floating around in your bloodstream six hours after that. And it could be potentially acting on you in that way of keeping you more alert and could potentially being bad for your sleep, for for a lack of a better word. And so oftentimes, most sleep researchers like Dr. Matthew Walker and Dr. Andrew Huberman will actually talk about how you might want to cut out caffeine consumption. A lot of the times, you'll see individuals say no caffeine after 12 or 1 p.m. More and more doctors and researchers are now saying it might be even earlier than that. It might be cutting it after 9 or 10 a.m., And I guarantee you there are tons of people who are continuing to consume caffeine after that point, especially with pre-workout supplements, um, which you really need to be careful of because pre-workout supplements have a ton of caffeine in them, more so than the average type of Average type of uh, of oh my goodness um, coffee, um, so the average coffee has anywhere from seventy five to one hundred and fifty milligrams, depending on what you get and how many shots of espresso you put in there. Most pre workouts that I know are two hundred and three hundred milligrams or more, and the more caffeine you're consuming, the longer it's going to take for your body to process that. And so, to get back to the original question of individuals who are not as sensitive to caffeine, who say they can drink it in the evening and still fall asleep, be very careful with that. Even if you are able to fall asleep, it does not mean that you are getting quality sleep, very similar to how alcohol disrupts our sleep. And so what they've actually shown is when you compare and contrast side by side, an individual's brain scan who is not on caffeine at night when they're asleep versus those that are, you actually see how that individual gets through the sleep stages is that in comparison to an 80-year-old, <laughs> okay? It is not good, okay? The sleep is highly fragmented. The efficiency is super, super low, all right? They're not getting as much REM sleep, and you still wake up tired and not as fulfilled, not as restored, okay? So sure, you might be falling asleep fine, drinking a pot of coffee at night, all right? But you're not getting the restoration that you need, and it can start to create this vicious cycle, so on and so forth. So 
If you choose to drink caffeine, try to control it the best that you can, right? Try to keep it to the morning hours and try to make sure that you are in control of the overall amount that you're consuming because it can definitely have an impact on your sleep if you're not careful, all right? And remember, sleep affects everything. There is not one aspect of your health that is not negatively impacted by your sleep. There is not one aspect of your health that is not positively impacted by sleep. You must have optimal sleep hygiene to get the most out of your fitness lifestyle. Great question. The next question is, how does creatine work and does it cause bloat? All right. And I know this question came from a lady, all right, because <laughs> we get these questions all the time. Uh, is creatine going to make me gain water weight and make me get, get poofy and make me bloat? Okay. Uh, and the simple question is, if you're taking the right type of creatine, it shouldn't do any of that. All right. In any, in, in any instance, creatine should be helpful. There's tons of research now. Um, you got to remember, creatine is one of the most highly researched supplements of all time. Like, hands down for years. And creatine is super beneficial no matter what your goals are. Um, not only is it great for potentially for recovery and for giving you more energy throughout the ATP phosphocreatine system, which in English allows you to get one more set, one more rep, allows you to recover a little quicker between sets, so on and so forth. They're also starting to find now that it might even have cognitive benefits, especially for those who are older in age. Um, so, And especially for those individuals who don't get enough protein in the diet. Creatine is absolutely a wonderful supplement. And when it's just plain old creatine monohydrate, it should not come with a lot of those crazy-ass side effects that you guys might have heard of that are out there in the industry that people bitch and complain about. All right, If it's giving you side effects, there's something more in there than creatine monohydrate. Um, so just... Be sure that wherever you're getting your creatine monohydrate products, that when you're looking on the nutrition label, it simply says one thing and one thing only, and that is creatine monohydrate, not creatine HCL, not creaculin, not all these crazy-ass forms of creatine that are proprietary blend and patent all over the place that you see that a lot of these crazy-ass supplement companies will try to do, okay? It's, there's, they're marketing gimmicks. They're trying to get your money on some bogus-ass form of creatine that they think works better than another that has no research justification. So you need to be very careful with that. There's only one type of creatine that we know that is proven to actually do what it does, and that is creatine monohydrate. Five grams a day, and you'll be good to go. Stay hydrated. Consume it before or after your workouts consistently, and you'll get some benefits from creatine. All right. <clears throat> Next question that we have is, how do I bring up a lagging body part? I feel like one side of myself, especially in my glutes, is a lot is a little bit off compared to the other side. Okay, And we get questions like this a lot. Um, oftentimes, I'll hear from individuals that they feel that one shoulder might be larger than the other or that they feel that they're stronger on one, one side of their lats or the other. This happens a lot, and there could be a lot of individual differences or reasons for this. Um, oftentimes, you'll hear people say, oh, well, you must genetically have one leg longer than the other. And I'll be completely honest with you. This is not as super common as you think. Um, uh, a lot of the times it's due to, you know, postural habits. How are we carrying our bodies? How are we leaning all on one side versus the other? Um, are we always putting all of our pressure down on one elbow or the other when we're sitting at our desk? Um, are we constantly using only one arm to drive a car? All right, that's a big one. Um, there's a lot of things that go into this. So the first thing is awareness. Like, how are you, how are you carrying your posture? How are you carrying your body? Um, cause often that's whatever you're doing the most with your posture and with your body is what's going to be causing uh, a lot of these things that we need to just be more cognitively aware of. So oftentimes the best ways to help lagging body parts like this or getting rid of imbalances is to level things out. 
So provide more volume of work in your strength training program to that side that might be a little lagging. So for example, if you feel that one side of your hips is not firing correctly. So for example, you got one butt cheek that's not working and you don't feel it as well on one side. Prioritize doing a little bit more extra volume with the side that you feel is a little bit more inactive. Usually the way that we try to do this is by programming isometric exercises because isometric exercises are fantastic for engaging and firing as much of the muscle fibers there as possible. So anywhere from a three to five second hold is optimal for activating as much muscle tissue as you can in that particular muscle group. Okay, so if you've got lopsided glutes, for example, do some isometric contractions for one or two sets on that side that might be a little bit inactive, get it woken up a little bit so that it'll start to fire more so that when you go into your bilateral exercises, it'll start to function better in unison with the other side. Something that's very, very helpful. And then in general, adding more sets uh, to the side that might be a little lagging or might not be as large or might not just be as firing as well. Okay, is a great way to level that out. The other way to do this is prioritizing unilateral training, all right? So for example, doing single-legged or single-armed exercises are great ways to break this up. And oftentimes, doing an entire program for four to 12 weeks might be the best way to do this because how many people do you know completely do an entire program's worth of just unilateral work? I guarantee you none. Every now and then, I will see workout programs that do put some unilateral exercises into the routines or even on one complete day, okay? But I've never seen anyone do an entire program of unilateral work. And if you've never done that, most likely it's going to be a super novel stimulus for you to where it'll be a great opportunity for you to level out the body, make it much more symmetrical, and make it that much more likely that both sides will fire the way that they need to when you return back to bilateral movements. Super, super recommend that. I usually try to do that myself every now and then in between programs for a good three to four weeks of just straight unilateral work to help iron out some of the imbalances that have occurred over time. Um, and this is just a matter of life. So super, super important to give that a shot. Prioritize more volume to the lagging side. Utilize isometric ex exercises and do work that will help your body become more symmetrical. Use more unilateral exercises will definitely help you. Okay, let me see. What have we got here? Any signs to look for when my diet isn't working? Okay, so when your diet isn't working and you're not seeing weight loss on the scale, okay, for more ways than one, a lot of things could be at note here. And more oftentimes, people easily underestimate the total amount of calories that they think they're consuming. And this is why it's so important especially for individuals who are brand new to a fitness lifestyle. You need to make sure you track, okay? Tracking is not something that we want to do forever, but tracking is a great skill to have, especially at the beginning of cultivating a fitness and nutrition lifestyle because it teaches you how to identify how many calories are in this particular type of food or in that type of food. It allows you to become more aware of the types of calories that are in things like dressings and oils and other processed foods. It's super easy to think, oh my goodness, I don't think I've eaten that much today. I think I must be in the clear. I'm going to hit my macros just fine. But then you look at the scale consistently and you're like, why is the scale going up? Why is it not ever going down? And you just might be over consuming more calories than you think. That is the most common thing that happens with a lot of our athletes and with a lot of people out there who start a fitness journey and can't understand why they can't lose weight. Because you're underestimating how much you're eating and you're usually over consuming by at least 500 to 600 calories than you think, okay? Super easy to 
have the calories shoot up when you're consuming uh, beverages with calories and overutilizing dressings and so on and so forth. Okay, super super beneficial for you to gather that discipline of tracking your macro so that you can learn portion sizes, learn the calorie limits of each food, and that allows you to be more cognitively aware. And once you build those skills of intuitive eating, then you don't have to track anymore because then you can just balance your lifestyle by being physically active and keeping in control of what you're eating. And that will allow you to enjoy the things that you enjoy in moderation. That's what living a healthy lifestyle is all about. And that's how you can maintain a healthy lifestyle forever is having that balance. You can enjoy cheesecake. You can enjoy having bourbon. You can enjoy having a glass of wine and being able to have some cocktail peanuts. All right. You just got to make sure that you balance everything out and always prioritizing the things that matter, prioritizing the whole food nutrition, prioritizing sleep, prioritizing healthy hydration and getting healthy amounts of fiber. Okay. That is going to be the most powerful message and why us as coaches will always prioritize teaching our athletes how to prioritize whole food nutrition, how to prioritize their mindset, their stress, and their sleep. Because without all of those things, it'll be very, very difficult to be successful. Okay. I hope that you guys enjoyed this first Q&A. I had a ton of fun answering these questions. If you guys have any questions for us at all, there's a great chance that your question could be featured on our podcast episode or future social media content. If you'd like, you can reach us at our Instagram pages at Evolve HP. You can reach Coach Kayla at Kayla Diamond. You can reach Jen Sowards at Jenny Fit. And you can also reach Ian Loughborough at Ian Loughborough on Instagram. Okay. You can also send us DMs and we would be more than happy to answer your questions or potentially feature them on our shows. If you are super interested, you can also reach me, myself, at cperry001 on Instagram or at my university account at christopher.perry at eku.edu. Look forward to more Q&A episodes in the future. Thanks for stopping by the Evolved Athlete Podcast, and we'll see you guys next week for the next Coaches Roundtable where we talk all about digital wellness and how social media and technology usage in the wrong way could be detrimental for your health. We'll see you in the next one. Coach P's out.